Are you ready? Are you going to ask me if I'm a good person? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't think I'm ready. (laughs) I wasn't. But now I do want to know, do you think you're a good person? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yes. What's the bar there? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, I mean, that's really part of being, I haven't really thought the statement through, so be warned, but is part of being a good person making the choice on whether or not you think that you are doing the right thing yeah, and intention. Like if you are a bad person, but you're oblivious to the fact that you're making bad decisions versus you are intentionally making bad decisions. There's something in there, intentionally hurtful decisions, et cetera. Or is there, because I don't know that always like selfish or people that lack self-awareness. It's my least favorite quality in human. Are they... Wait, selfishness or lacking self-awareness? Lack of self-awareness. If you know what you're doing is selfish even, like, because I actually don't think selfishness is, I think you should know that you're being selfish, but like, there's a lot of conversations about like, you know, looking at your mask on first, et cetera. Treat yourself. Yes. Yes. Oh, treat yourself day is tomorrow. Oh, great. October 13th. Be selfish tomorrow. Exactly. Um. Which is probably not the lesson, but if (laughs) you are aware of what you're doing, like I am picking me right now or I am sucking up all the oxygen in the room. So sorry, but like, here it goes. I, it doesn't bother me. Like, even if you're like being mean, but you know, you're being mean, like, and you're acknowledging that. But when there is a lack of that and you are just oblivious to the people around you and your actions, like I have pinpointed that that is my least favorite quality in a human i think that is a i'm I'm trying to think what i think my least what did you say your least favorite quality or is that what you how you phrase it like it's the thing i i dislike the most or like the least i guess is lack of self-awareness and i guess on the flip side it might be the thing i value the most but is self-awareness yeah like if i'm just doing literally the opposite like is that true I'd have to think about it a little longer, but it's possible that like just being self-aware and being on your journey, maybe like a little addendum to self-awareness is whatever your faults you are trying to fix them or get better. Like, I think that's all part of the journey, but I've discovered that this year. (laughs) I think it was in our company retreat when we were doing all the personality tests. (laughs) Self-awareness. Yes. So... In the, are you a good person or not? Like, it might be attached to that to a certain degree because it's attached to intentions. Like, are you aware of what's going on in this moment? Are you aware of others? Yes. Are you able to step aside from time to time to know what is for the greater good? So, yes, I am a good person. <laughs> that is the circle we took. That was are a, you a nice a meandering <laughs> journey to <laughs> get you. there. Thank you. Well, the thing that I was thinking is... That I was trying to figure out if I believe whether or not this judges if you're a good person. Because the quality that I value the most is kindness. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, the thing that I like least in people is when they are rude and unkind. But I don't know that I necessarily associate, does kindness mean you're a good person? Like, I haven't really well, deeply thought about that yet. Well, because then what happens when 
and I know this might shock some people because Emily's a saint, but at times you are not always kind. I know because, and as they talk about in this podcast, we all have flaws and we all have moments we're not proud of. Yes. And I have deep guilt because I do. (laughs) Definitely. We all have our snapping moments and I definitely have moments where I am. I mean, one of my favorites was, which is self-awareness. So you get points for this somewhere in the middle of our partnership. (laughs) We were talking about totally know what you're about to say <laughs> like i'm a sarcastic person we were talking about being mean and stuff and Emily's like no sometimes i know i'm being a jerk <laughs> and yes. i'm trying to be a jerk to you and i'm i'm being a jerk and i know it sometimes i am a jerk so- on purpose sometimes yeah. i reach my in the world reach my done point and i'm like no nope, be a jerk now <laughs> i'm gonna be a jerk now and i'm being a jerk on purpose and then i feel that at this point in my life after i have had that moment I do go and apologize. Well, because usually you're like, that's and not who I want to be. It's either. not who I want to like, be. It pe- is. Yeah. My, she's going to love this in 20 years if she ever listens to this podcast. My <laughs> youngest niece is the most blunt person I've ever met. Very in unique my life. She's a very unique individual. And she will say things very, it's not being to be mean, but she'll say things very directly and they will hurt your feelings. And she's nine, just <laughs> set the stage. She will then come back and apologize for hurting your feelings. Not necessarily for what she says, but yeah. she will come back and be like, Emmy, I'm sorry that I said that. But and there's a lot of conversation about intention, like even in our partnership or in my marriage of like, I wasn't intending to do that. And my husband will be like, I know you weren't. It still sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> are you a good person because you did it? I don't think you're a bad person because of it, but I do think that that was still uncalled for. <laughs> to me, it's a, are they, it's not, are you a good person? It's, are you, everyone is a complicated person. Oh, sure. You know, and I, I mean, feel we like. did that panel too. In the <laughs> complex. <laughs> complex, not, not com- complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I think the evolution of these characters really shows is that for so long, characters you didn't see, especially in women, which they talk about on this, but especially in women, you didn't see the complexity in female characters. So they were always good characters because you only saw them making the right decision or the perfect decision or... But sometimes, do they talk about, like, sometimes a woman's the bad person, too? Well, yeah, but it's yeah. the... Yeah, it's a... There was no complexity. They're either, like, yeah. good or evil. Right. And now when you see someone complex, it's a bit more of, like, well, are they a good person or are they just, like, a flawed person that is doing their best and occasionally... I think it's interesting because, like, this panel came from me from a podcast I had listened to, and it, it does touch on, like, are they likable or not, but... It was a conversation probably from listening to The Watch and various Ringer podcasts about, you know, shows like Succession or like everyone's terrible. And I don't know that that is at all a prerequisite for my view- viewing in life. Yes. Human beings around me, 100 percent. No, no jerk policy kind of thing. But for watching television shows, I don't need them to be a good person and I don't need them to be likable. I do want them to evolve and learn and be challenged. And like over multiple seasons of a show, if somebody doesn't change at all, I get bored. But I actually like villains are very fun to watch. And like, so the like, are they a good person? Which I set this topic up. It even it was because I was like, is that how we're judging people? <laughs> or TV shows? Mm-hmm. Is that how we're judging TV shows? Is like... Uh, is the lead a good person or not? Because it doesn't filter through my head that I need that to be true. 
Yep. And I think there's something, because they do talk about succession a lot on this, there's something in the thought of using succession as the example, because something that just aired. Mm-hmm. And, and they're all kind of they're terrible. They're all terrible. They're all, they're not even kind okay. of terrible. Like, <laughs> And there's not even one character that, especially of the main group, that you're like, maybe this one is a good one. But the fact that when you're watching it, there's something satisfying. One, they're all just fun well-written dynamic characters so they're fun to watch but because they're all miserable it's almost easier to watch it i think if they were terrible people and happy and like look how great my life is and look how wonderful it is and i can be terrible and be on top of the world and be happy and life is perfect then you're like well that sucks yeah but because they i mean are obviously very wealthy and have all of these things but they're so deeply miserable it's almost easier to watch because you're not rooting for them in the same way. Yeah. You're more just watching what are they going to do next. Like, I don't feel that I'm ever rooting for the people in mm-hmm. succession. Although, it is funny, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but when you think of, like, Tom and Shiv, and I think that there are various points during the show where you're, you are, you are kind of rooting them. for them to get be together and get past their difficulties. <laughs> and you're like, but should you be together? Well, I don't like know. when the whole thing ended... And this might be t- spoiler tangential, tangential, but I'm going to say it anyway, is I've been watching this whole show with my husband. Like, it's actually, we realized we've, we've rewatched it multiple times each time a season comes out. So, like, together have seen all the seasons multiple times. We get to the finale, and he is so upset that Kendall doesn't quote-unquote win. And I, I was like, is this who we were rooting for? You were rooting for Kendall? <laughs> like, I had no idea. And he was like, well, he's the one that's supposed to get it. He's like the hero. And I was like, he's the hero? <laughs> like, we've watched this entire show together and never had this conversation. And I didn't realize he thought it was predetermined that it would be Kendall. Like, that there was no question and that Kendall was the hero. And I was like, mind blown. Like, as Shiv is doing all her stuff in the courtroom, he's like, oh, no, Shiv, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh, you're ruining it. Like, when he said the phrase, Kendall was the hero, I was like... I'm sorry. Like I realized. Like, that do we, we remember that Kendall like killed someone yes. in season one? That is a spoiler. Also, but if you haven't watched season one, so sorry. But to the point is like at different times you were rooting for different people. Yes, and yes. as far as I could get with him was at some point in the in the seasons I was probably rooting for Kendall, like or saw Kendall as being the one that should be the successor. Yes. But at different like, and we got into that conversation of like who who you were rooting for and. I mean, my head almost exploded. I was just like, I don't understand how I could have sat next to you on this couch and watched this show for years and not thought this this didn't come up. Also, not a good person, but that's fine. Well, it's funny because in a very different show, but because we're doing it as a rewatch with the members watching the OC... And after we finished season one, had a group discussion on the show and on the different characters and talking about who is the villain of season one. And, you know, there's arguments for Julie Cooper. There's arguments for Caleb. There's arguments for different people. And uh, in the beginning, Luke is not. I mean, Luke. Yeah, absolutely. Terrible. Uh, But then one member said that they believe Seth is the villain of season one and had a really great argument for it. But really more than anything, especially... I just finished season two, but season two with this mindset of like, Seth is one of the most selfish characters ever on television. He is constantly, especially in season two. Seth and Ryan both learn nothing. Oh. FYI. I, uh... No, Ryan makes a lot lot of bad choices. Ryan makes some choices, but even end of season two when 
Seth's like, don't become old Ryan Atwood. And he's Ryan's like, I have to. And like storms off to yes, go exactly. do whatever happens at the end of season two. But Seth is literally one of the most selfish characters yeah. I've ever seen on TV. Which he ruins the stuff with Summer a lot. Oh, so much. I'm like, why does Summer keep taking him back? Yeah. It makes zero sense. And watching it this time with that lens, I'm like, oh yeah, you're terrible. Like, I do not think that Seth Cohen is a good person, especially in the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. But because he and Ryan are such good friends and have this like beautiful relationship. I think Ryan is a good person. I just don't think he learns anything. I do think Ryan is a good person too. I think Julie Cooper is an interesting one. Having finished the four season rewatch, her arc from potential villain in season one to mm-hmm. basically Keeks's best friend in season four, her self-proclaimed at least best friend, <laughs> Kiki, is kind of interesting too. In I do think Julie people. has a great, and Summer, they all have really great arcs that I enjoy, but I do think Julie is a really fun villain, not a good person, but yet at times I believe doing a, questionable things for her family does that make you a good person if you do terrible things for good intention you know good intention good reason i don't know know. marissa's real screwed up so (laughs) complicated characters the oc is full of complicated characters about the oc (laughs) well we can get to our panel to have them talk about this as well because they go you know they talk about the studio system and a whole bunch of different things this was a micro panel with Jacqueline Sicario co-head of development for scripted television for E1 so she's on Yellow Jacket spoiler alert and Sarah Timberman who's the executive producer of Justified City Primeval and Fleischman's in Trouble both have are you a good person kind of questions about her characters and it was moderated by Laura Rice from NPR's The Texas Standard Thank you so much, Jen. It's a lot of fun to be here, and it's great to be here with Jacqueline and Sarah. So uh, Jacqueline, if you checked out the programming, um, is with E1, some of the the shows that she mentioned just then, Yellow Jackets, Jacqueline is a part of. Also, uh, Cruel Summer, which I heard just had a fantastic like premiere for season two last night. And Sarah Timberman over there is uh, Fleischman in Trouble, a bunch of things. Also, uh, Justified City Primeval, right, which is going to have a uh, showing here. So exciting stuff. So let's start with like, where did this idea of a, a character needing to be likable even come from? What What have you heard about, like, the history of all this? Jacqueline, you want to start? <laughs> Go for it, Sarah. Um, well, I, I mean, I think... I think unlikable characters, I think especially in television, um, are fascinating because for, you know, the diff- I used to work in film and then I moved to TV and I think for film, it really is about the plot, right? And, uh, and for TV, it really is about the character evolution. So this idea of like a character can evolve and change, um, I think is really fascinating. And so, you know, what, um, when someone is unlikable or has a lot of room to grow, um, I think that makes for a fascinating, you know, journey. Um, yeah, and a lot more conflict. So I, I don't know if I'll that... I'll jump in, yeah. And I think you can go back in terms of like starting with the need to be likable. I think you can go back a kind of a long way and even film before television. And um, a little known fact is that in the very early days of film, 
um, the pioneers, many of the pioneers in film, a, a friend and I are working on a project related to this, but in the early days of film, many of the pioneers were actually women. And it, this is not widely known, but women were directors, studio heads, producers, and um, flourished. And that was before there was money in it. And as soon, mm. as, soon as there was a lot of money in it, uh, I think more men took an interest and jumped in. And, but before the Hayes Act and before in those very, very, very early days of largely silent film is really when women were working. Um, I, it's, it's worth reading about. It's a fascinating period. You go back and uh, behavior that would later come to be seen as immoral and, um, you know, whether it was dishonest or promiscuous, um, or, or, you know, in any way degenerate was, um, you know, pretty widely represented. All, all kinds of human behavior was represented in film. And after that, there were codes in Hollywood, and they cracked down on that. And suddenly you have year, decades and decades of, um, you know, censors at, at, at broadcast networks and standards and practices at broadcast networks. It's a comedy that, that my partner and I have talked about making before, Standards and Practices Office, because it just seems hilarious. <laughs> like, and someone, uh, my, my, I know someone who worked in that back in the early or days of television, someone my mom was close to and had to make those decisions about what people could or couldn't do. Um, so advertiser-sponsored television obviously led to concerns on the part of what advertisers would tolerate and then you get to cable and suddenly those concerns aren't the same ones and it's it's funny because thinking about the topic of this panel I, I'm not sure this like this moment is definitely a moment of anti-heroes and and you know the bad guy good guy question but it feels like the advent of that was kind of like in the early days of cable mm. before streaming you know where it was suddenly you have The Shield and you have The Sopranos and you have Breaking Bad and all those right. shows. And I, I remember like <laughs> a joke about pitching to HBO in the, like, in the heyday of all those shows where someone said, and I wish I could remember the specifics because it was very dark and funny, but it was like, oh, I went to HBO and pitched a show about like a priest, serial killer, pedophile, and was told, oh, that's too broadcast. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> like you know, they, there was, so there's been these, you know, these sort of trends and these cycles of what people gravitate toward. And I think it's an interesting moment now because I think you could argue with, like, Ted Lasso that right. it's kind of come back around. Right? Yeah, we're like and a, it's, we're kind yeah. of in a, in a mixed, you know, it's, there's a sort of broad spectrum because there are so many platforms and so many series, so... Anyway, so do you th so do you agree with that 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 most of it comes down to to advertisers or to you know what rating is going to appeal to the masses the biggest masses or do you think that there's there's something in the pitch process where um, you're having to convince folks that this is a character that um, you know people need to be able to root for. I think likability and rootability are different things um, because I find myself rooting for characters that I don't really like. 
Um, so I think that's really fascinating and interesting. And, and, you know, Succession, for example, I remember starting to watch that series and going, I can't get through this. I hate them. And then I go, oh, 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 I'm supposed to hate them. And then once I surrendered to that, I was able to enjoy it so much more. And I think they did such a beautiful job with, um, with each of them having a, 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 a backstory that, you know, felt real and, um, and had a lot of depth. And so you really felt like they were dimensionalized, you know, characters that, that it made sense. And even the finale, and I'm not going to do any spoilers, but at, at the end, I'm like, that's exactly how that would turn out. Um, these were, were really flawed characters from the beginning. Um, so I don't think it has to do with advertisers in, in cable anymore or what um, necessarily, like, ratings, um, at least in, um, I mean, I think we now are pretty free. And even in broadcast. I, I think even more so in it's, broadcast It's now. even freer. Yeah. 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 Um, but on the succession question, it's funny, I was with a, a great writer, we had a sort of reunion picket of Justified yesterday, I was saying, in Los Angeles, and one of my favorite writers on that show, I, I wanted to like, you know, we were doing our circles for two hours, and I thought, oh good, we'll unpack succession for half an hour. <laughs> and he um, said that he, he was like, yeah, didn't work for me. I st saw one episode, and he's a great writer, he said, I saw one episode and I couldn't, didn't like those people, and I kind of felt like I knew you know, they're narcissistic and venal and corrupt. And I, and I just, it could be, he said it's some of the most brilliant writing I've ever seen, but the show wasn't for me. I, I you know, I feel that I found it to be an interesting minority position among people I know, because everyone else I know is just mourning the Roy family. Like, I, some of us felt like after, like my family and I watched it, the succession during the pandemic, and that feeling when we were really in lockdown and that season ended, we were all bereft because it felt like, wait, how could they all have left our living room? How are we, what are we gonna do with ourselves without those people? And it's such a fascinating thing because if you try to find any one character in that show who, who demonstrates anything like nobility, you're really hard pressed. Yeah. Like we did that exercise and I try to remember who we came up with. We came up with like Kendall's assistant who resigns, <laughs> like, but, but what I think they, I mean, I think it's some of the most brilliant writing there's been, um, you know, in recent memory and more distant memory. Um, and I think a thing, an incredible thing they did, because until maybe this season, I think I would have put it in the category of, you, you love to, you know, you, you know it's okay not to like them and not to care about them. And I feel like there is television and film and literature that, makes you reflect on your own experience in a very direct way. And, and it's not just empathy, but it's really seeing your life in those characters. And some of my favorite things are obviously those works of art in, in whatever medium. And Succession always felt like it was in a different category, like the brilliantly written, completely believable characters, but you don't feel yourself in them until like two, th this season that... I don't know. I mean, spoiler, we all know, right? Do we know who lives and dies? No. Okay, one second. But, okay, I'll just say, I'll just say, <laughs> there was a death, and that death, and that death, like, was like a, a like a, a punch in the gut for, like, everyone I know, and it was like, wait, how is Jesse such a genius that he could sneak up on you and push the show into the category of things that make you reflect on your own life? I think that's an incredible feat. And Shiv and Tom 
won't say what, but we're geeking of, out on succession. But now. some <laughs> of those fights, but some of those fights, you go like, so how do they do that? How do they take that marriage that seemed like such a sham and make you feel it like again, a, just a punch in the gut? And, and I was just going to mention on on um, likability, unlikability. You know, I think when a character doing the right thing, there's usually only one thing. It's like, okay, that's the right thing. But there are so many choices you can make that would be the wrong thing. And I think that unexpectedness of like, what wrong decision are you going to make? You right. know, is exciting to watch. Yeah. And I think also, you know, when I, I studied English literature in, in college and I was a huge Shakespeare nut. And so for me, when it ended, my husband had his concerns. I was like, it's a tragedy. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a Greek tragedy. It's a Shakespearean tragedy. If you talk about unlikable characters, I mean, Shakespeare was the best at that. Um, so I think it's something that's been around since the beginning of stories. Do you think, let's keep following Succession for a minute here, but do you think that an, an ensemble cast is, um, is helpful in telling um, stories about unlikable people? Because, you know, I find myself when I'm watching Succession, I'm like, wait a minute, I was rooting for you and now I can't anymore, but uh, that person did something that was not terrible, so today I'm team Shiv or whatever. Um, it's maybe similar for Yellow Jackets? I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. I think it's better for an ensemble because when one character is doing something, you know, particularly egregious, maybe another one gives you a little hope and a little humanity. And so you go, maybe they're not terrible, you know? Um, and I think same with Breaking Bad. You know, you're like, I, I loved in Breaking Bad how Jesse and... Um, Oh Walter. God. Walter had kind of did an inverse. And uh, and I think I think if you have, you know, just a single lead who you don't like, who's a bad person, I, I do think that that would get, you know, tiring. I'm, that's interesting because I was going to bring up Breaking Bad as the inverse because it, it's mostly Walter's story. But you're right. I mean, it's yeah. it's a, there's a shared lead there. Yeah, I, I it's it's. Um... You know, it's interesting when you think about the process in a writer's room. Um, we had a big debate to further geek out in succession about the, the smoothie scene. And, and my, writer, my husband, who's a writer, was like, okay, you don't just make that up. That happened to somebody he knows. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, but the thing about what you draw from in real life versus what you create and how you feel about inventing characters who do ethically and morally questionable things. It's an interesting process. I, there's a show that, um, that I executive produced uh, called Masters of Sex, and it was about Masters and Johnson and the research they did, and in their partnership, the fact that Bill Master is a married man at the beginning of the, all true, all true story, but that at the beginning of their partnership, he said to Virginia Johnson, who really wanted to work for him, you can work for me, but the only way to conduct this to work with me is to conduct the research ourselves. So we will have to be having sex together, and we will then be partners. And she wants the position. She says yes, and that's the foundation of their working relationship and the show. And I've thought a lot about that and thought, like, wow, would like writers sit in a room and make that up? And how would you feel as a writer in your judgment of these people for doing what they do? I think it would be a hard story to make, just make up whole cloth. And I think there's something interesting in drawing from real life where it gives you license. Because weirdly, if you watch that show, I think you suspend judgment because you know that it happened and you 
there's a strange sort of rooting interest almost for Bill and Virginia, but it's like a warped, weird love story to the extent that it's a love story at all. But I, I think it's, you know, life can be much more interesting than fiction sometimes and also give you license to tell a story in a way that you probably wouldn't make up. So that, that process always interests me too. I want to follow up on something you said at the beginning when you were kind of talking about the history, Sarah, and uh, women running Hollywood and, and maybe how things changed when men and money and advertising got more involved. Um, but also kind of following up somewhat on succession, also leading into Yellow Jackets a little bit. How gendered is this idea of likability? Uh, it comes up in Cruel Summer in the very first episode of the first season. You're not likable enough to this young woman. You know, what is... Uh, do you feel like there are even now different expectations for female characters versus a male character? Are you saying character? this happens in the world? Like, in, <laughs> like, are you saying politics or There's what? Just a couple of women in this room. I bet you know could um, speak to that. Yeah. I mean, I think it is true to life. You know, I think we, you know, a man behaves a certain way at the office. He's aggressive. He's ambitious. I mean, no, he's ambitious. You know, a woman does it. She's aggressive. You know. Um, so I think I personally, if I only told female-led stories for the rest of my life, I probably would be very satisfied because I think women are utterly, you know, interesting and layered. And I don't think we've had enough characters on screen that are fully dimensionalized because, um, yeah, and I don't, and I don't know... From the history, I don't even know that. By the way, I'm fascinated. I'm like, can you please make that show about the <laughs> beginning of Hollywood run by women? I had no idea. Yeah, um, and then is it that men started writing women, and it was just like they just were creating us in such a way and the way they wanted us to be? And so I think now we are. There's more women in seats of power like this that you know we can push back and say a woman wouldn't do that, and a wouldn't woman say that. And I think even you know I love Cruel Summer because you know. Um, teen girls are underestimated, you know? And I, I was so, I, I was so motivated and I wanted to respect these characters and respect the audience of like, don't underestimate like a, a young girl's mind, you know? Um, there's a lot going on there. Um, and I wanted them to have their own agency because oftentimes it's bad things are happening to them and they're reacting, but they were making the bad decisions and owning it. And, and you kind of, you, you still didn't hate them for it because they're teens, you know, um, and they're trying and they have all the pressures that are there. So I, I just think for me, it's the likability, unlikability. It's just much more real. I mean, that's a much more what life is like. It's definitely something that in, I, I, in more focused lately on streaming and cable shows, but having done, <laughs> developed many um, broadcast shows earlier in my professional life, Certainly questions come up surrounding anything dangerous and a character is a parent and how a woman involved in dangerous work who has a child is viewed differently than a man involved in dangerous work. But there's a great, I, I, I weirdly went down like a rabbit hole about this question this morning um, and thinking about this. And there's a great novelist named uh, Claire Massoud who, if you want to read about like, she writes about like the whole entire history of, of in fiction of how women are looked at differently and are judged differently and said something like, you know, if you're reading literature to make a new best friend, you're in deep trouble. was like a great thing that I found that she said, but she said, look at, from Shakespeare on down, like look at the, the men 
in literature and look at women and look at the judgments leveled against women. It's ha I mean, it's happened. It's happened for centuries. It's true. It's definitely something, I think, doing what we do and what you all do um, it, to be cognizant of and to, you know, to try to respond to as best you can. But I think that's absolutely a real thing and something that people wrestle with all the time. It's even with like Fleischmann is in trouble, which we just finished making. Taff, it's a, based on a novel of the same name um, by a terrific writer, New York Times writer turned novelist turned showrunner named Taffy Brodesser Ackner. And, and she, in a lot of the making of her work, there's a sort of instinct and she loved her editors and she loved FX, but like there's a response sometimes from some quarters to sort of move it in the direction of like, you know, it's it's serious literature, but it's like, wait, is this sort of chiclet? Like what is it? And it's like, no, it's not. Like she actually gets compared to like Philip Roth more than to any other female writer, but there's a sort of, sometimes this feeling of like, wait, I don't quite know how to respond to this or how to categorize it. And it's, you see that, that it happens with women. You know, not, again, not from FX who were like, our show was a weird show and they were amazing partners and supported every weird choice we wanted to make. But um, in her past, in her travels, you know, she would get notes and she'd say, oh, that's a lady note. I just got a lady note. And, and you know, you kind of recognize what that means when you see it. I'm glad you brought up Fleischman because I wanted to talk a little bit more about your shows and also the shows that you watch and what makes character um, even a tiny bit likable to you. I think I feel like Fleischman is likable because you, you feel so sorry for the guy. You know, I mean, it's, he's, he's sort of somebody that you want to root for in, in, in that example. I feel like in Yellow Jackets, you know, um, Christina Ricci's character Misty is like horrible, but also she's Christina Ricci and she's doing an amazing job. And so I sort of <laughs> still like her because uh, of my like personal history of watching her growing up. Can you can you talk about your relationships with characters and that sort of thing? I mean, I think we have just the best cast on Yellow Jackets. I like I think about it all the time. I'm like, this show with a different cast <laughs> would be very different. Um, and that was a arduous process on trying to find the right people for all those reasons. We knew they were going to have to do terrible things and we had to still like them and they had us feel like real women. Um, so that was, I, I think we just, we were really, 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 you know, arduous and like trying to find the right cast um, for that show. Um, I also think you, you like them in the, in the, present because you saw the you you see the horrific things they went through in the past. I mean, anyone who goes through that sort of trauma and doesn't get help because none of them got help, you know, um is going to is going to be fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sarah? Are there sort of like I think the the stereotype right is the save the cat moment, right? Like even the worst person has to just do one thing to sort of make them root for you. Can you think of moments like that in Fleischman? Yes, in or in, yeah, or in the I other... Mean, Fleischman, Fleischman uh, was like a rare, incredible experience for me as a producer, just getting as involved in trying to figure out the story with, because um, my showrunner was the first time showrunner, and she wrote the entire thing, and so she left a lot of room for, for me and for Susanna Grant, who was my partner on it, who's one of the great writers back to 
Erin Brockovich um, and other things, but to really sit and wrestle with her storytelling with her. And, you know, she was, Taffy was determined, um, to, you know, in the end, there's a lot of voiceover in the show that comes from the novel, cause, and we couldn't resist pulling so much of it in because it's beautiful writing, but at the very end, after you've been on this journey with Jesse Eisenberg's character, um, there, some of the Lizzie Kaplan's voiceover talks about how, you know, everyone is great and everyone is terrible and everyone is petty and everyone is noble. And what the show aimed to do was sort of see how, you know, how the perspective can shift over time and how someone that you write off initially, um, like my, my husband saw some of it before he'd read the novel and saw some of what Claire Danes did in the beginning. And he kept saying to me, like, how are you possibly going to redeem her? And, and it's a, it's a, for this conversation, it's actually a very, you know, I'm not just plugging my show. It's like, actually, if you're interested as writers in, like, how to wrestle with that issue of taking someone who seems like the hero of the story and then showing them in a totally different light and yet not then vilifying them or how to take someone who seems like the villain of the story and then humanizing them, that was Taffy's aim. And I think she did it in a, in a, in a pretty beautiful way. Um, but, you know, I, I likeability and empathy, I think, are sort of two different things. And I think a lot of the kinds of shows we're talking about with characters with very questionable motives, you know, I think feeling empathy for them is probably yeah. what a lot of writers and producers are going for. Yeah. I also think, listen, we all strive to be good people, but we've all had times in our lives where maybe we weren't the best. And like, <laughs> that's real. Like you can't look at your whole life and be like, I've been perfect. I've never made a mistake. I've and you might have like dark periods. I mean, ask my college boyfriend, you know? Like, <laughs> I was nuts. Like, I mean, so there are periods of your life, right? And so that's why I also, when I look at these characters, I'm like, maybe they evolve and grow and they're not going to be like this forever. But for right now, for this show, they are. And that's going to be fun to watch. And that's why we're interested in this yeah. moment of their lives. That's why we're telling <laughs> yeah. this story because it's, it's you know. But I totally second that. Like, it's not just that characters who do questionable things serve only as cautionary tales. But, uh, you know, for better or worse, they also provide mirrors to some of our, you know, less impressive moments as human beings. And there's something, I think, important in seeing not just your best self, but your worst self or your best or your potential worst self in a film or on a television show. And then you feel better about yourself watching that, right? You're like, oh, they're worse than me. Right. No, so I was reading somewhere, some critic was writing about Succession and said like that, you know, Succession doesn't give you the chance to go like, oh, that was my Shiv moment. It's like, oh, oh shit, that was my Shiv moment. Like, but like, there, you know, I, like there are numerous characters in Succession who behave poorly where you go, oh yeah, that felt a little like Tom, what I just said. <laughs> You know, you also brought up Ted Lasso, though, and I, like, what was that? Like, we all just, it was, like, right in pandemic time, and it was, like, we all just needed a break, and we needed to just, like, think there was a Human great... Human connection. Yes. Like, well, great yeah. writing, great acting, yeah. but but I think it was that pandemic moment, too, the hopefulness in it, I election anxiety. I, <laughs> I was making calls to out of state for a campaign, just doing those weekend volunteering, you make phone calls to kind of what I think was a 
stayed hostile to what my agenda was. And literally, there was a period of time where I was like, okay, channel your inner Ted Lasso, now make the call. And someone would be like, I'd be, hey, I'm calling as a, as a uh, volunteer for the Democratic Party. And they'd be like, what are you calling? I'd be like, well, thank you so much. Have a great day. And it's like, Ted Lasso would That's do so it. Funny. Yeah. But I, but I see, but I don't necessarily think Ted Lasso is like the most likable character. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of annoying, you know. Um, and the owner chick, you know, I forgot her name. She is a, she was very annoyed by him in season one. And I also think and the psychologist lady and right? the psychologist, yeah. like yeah. because you all know this is his coping mechanism. This is not normal. This is not a real human. And I actually thought that anxiety episode where he has that panic oh, yeah. attack was. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it goes to show you this man is a mess. And this is <laughs> but, and this is all a facade, a facade, a facade, and he's gonna crack. And that's a flaw. But yeah. it but and yeah. yet I yeah. agree with everything you just yeah. said. And yet it, it was it was is so life affirming and kind of you know affirming of everything that's good about being human. Like yes. it is yes. sort of tapped not, into not something. Perfect. But not you know, perfect. No one is perfect. No. Yeah. For okay, sure. all right. We are running out of time, but I want to ask you, who is your favorite anti-hero and why? Wow. I mean, Walter White is mine, is for sure. Yeah. Why, though? Why? Like, I think because he... He wanted to help his family. Did he? <laughs> Early on. I mean, he was a... You know, he got... I love that he got screwed over from that deal and his partner became a billionaire and he didn't. And he used the, I want to help my family as an excuse for him to prove that he could also be powerful and rich. And I just, I, I, but I thought there were so many other layers that he himself, you know, hid behind. And also just Brian Cranston is just so funny and just such a great actor. And so, and Vince Gilligan is just such a brilliant, brilliant writer. So um, yeah, that's probably mine. Well, I, I have to say a good word for Boyd Crowder because in our show Justified, because we he <laughs> he 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 actually died after the pilot, and we loved him so much. We were like, oh, we have to reshoot that last scene, so he so he came back. But and along with that, that entire if you could take that whole cast of Succession and put them in a blender and make a horrible smoothie, like and and turn them back into a human, that character. Yeah. That's the Dow, man. Where are there any, yeah, are there any moments? I, uh, I, I don't even know what I, I don't want to open up the, the succession, you know, wormhole again because yeah. I feel like we could spend, spend forever I, down there. I, know. I wish we had more time because we would talk about like all the great flawed f flea bag. Like, oh. you know. yeah. See, that was one I started and couldn't keep going on. That was, that was me. Really? Yes. <gasps> yes. I know. I, I, I was. Like, I, I did a couple episodes and I gave it a shot. Yeah. Our household could watch that show in a loop. Yeah. Like <laughs> weekly, given the opportunity. Wow. Do you guys want to shout out a couple questions before we wrap it up? Anybody? Um, character is always the marriage of writer and performer, especially in long term storytelling. Is there something that you wish auditioning actors knew when picking up um, these kind of anti hero characters that are such a high wire act? So what do you want um, auditioning actors to know um, about taking on a character? I have 
such empathy for actors, let me just tell you, because they show up to auditions and they only have their sides. And I just think that is crazy because I'm like, you don't even know the whole script. You don't know where it's going. And so you just have to make choices and stick to them. And I, I mean, I think, I think just creating your own backstory for that character, you know, um, whether you know it or not, but, and, you know, just commit, you know, to, to making that decision. And then hopefully you are able to have a conversation or, or you can try, make a couple choices. We're like, well, if they don't want that, then they try this. But, um, but I think really making the character your own. I know it's just really difficult. And I, and if you can get your hands on the full script, get your hands on the full script. That was actually exactly my <laughs> note, which is like, I was going to say the same thing, sides, like how can you begin to know what you're getting into. So I think the more you can find out before coming in, the better. Yeah. That would be my advice. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, so, or I guess I was just going to speak to it. You, when you were talking about um, life imitating, like it, imitating something that happened in real life. It's just, do you, I just feel like, do you ever find it's hypocritical because it's like, we do need to talk about taboo things that are actually mm -hmm. real order to reflect it back to society. Because this idea of likability kind of comes from this morality clause that I don't remember signing. And I don't, the people around me also haven't signed it either. Like, but why does it have to be this thing that we can't talk about the title? Like, it just feels hypocritical. I, I think you're completely right. Like, it's, it's, I don't think it's a good thing that, um, that real stories give you license to tell more complicated stories. I just think in that particular case, like I found it interesting that it probably wouldn't have, I don't know how that would have gone over as a pitch. I totally agree with you. Like it should all be up for grabs and everything should be on the table for sure. All right, right here in the front real quick. When it comes to the unlikable female character, it's not just like the business and execs who were resistant to that for so long. Audiences were too because of like the inherent misogyny they were taught and all that. Is there a specific character that each of you would say was a turning point in where viewers were more receptive to those unlikable women? All right, great question. Really so question. a woman that changed the yeah. perception of unlikable women. I'm trying to think too. I'm trying to think too. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot, but in, in television one specifically. Samantha on Sex in the City. Sure. But what's not to like? But I'm thinking yes. things like damages and um, any other thoughts out there? She said Rachel earlier, Rachel Green. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is a sociopath, just like Christina. I mean, I will say Julia Louis-Dreyfus in Seinfeld. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a good one. I think yeah. you. Yeah. Consensus win, I think, yeah. yeah. Back here in this corner, do you have one? Uh, I have a piggyback question to that. Uh, do you feel when it comes to context behind the motivations uh, that the characters hold, do you think that more, less is more? So with Seinfeld as an example, we had almost no context. With Jerry, uh, Elaine, all of them, they just didn't like someone, they were by the way, kind of the first 
show of like unlikable characters, right? Like, I, I mean, I'm trying to, right? Like across the board, yeah. Um, I think for that, it really worked that we had so, so little context. I think so too. Yeah. And it's, it's coming from like, you know, in one part of my experience, the Elmore Leonard school, like mm -hmm. he, he famously, we did never wanted to talk about his character's backstory. He felt like it, the characters revealed through action and point of view and you, you'd figure it out. But they're also so specific in their quirks. You know, like they were just so, they, they were so well defined as characters. Like you just like, you're like, that, that's such an Elaine thing or that's such a, sure. you know? And you loved yeah. them all yeah. for being their Yeah, And Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Larry sure. David is just. Right. Um, but I, I think that's a, it's a good question because whether it's context or backstory, I think it's specificity, right? Specificity of character is so, 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 so important. And it should be on the page. You shouldn't rely on, oh, an actor will bring that. It's like as much as a writer can include the specificity on the page, the better right. for everyone. There's a, just an interesting thing to read because I recently reread it. It related kind of to all this, but uh, Alan Sepinwall's thing in Rolling Stone, in the wake of George Floyd, there was a reckoning that he did on how he felt about um, cop shows. And anyway, it was, it's, really, it's really worth reading because he talks about how much we invest in the characters that we see on television so that there's also this question, which is a whole different panel, which is what is all of our responsibility? Anyway, it's a good thing to go read. You guys, please join me in thanking Jacqueline and Sarah. And of course, go see the the cruel summer and the and the justified primeval city primeval, right? Okay, lots of good stuff. Thank you guys so much. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas, between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.